This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Path, the coach-guided membership designed to help you make alcohol small and relevant in your life by removing your true desire to grab that next drink. Our science-based, compassion-led program allows you not only to shift your behavior and your relationship around alcohol, but more importantly, uncover and reprogram your subconscious conditioning and neural connections that have been keeping you stuck for years. With daily live breakthrough coaching, an intimate and supportive community, regular peer-to-peer connection calls, and a complete vault of resources, this is where your path to total freedom and effortless enjoyment of your new way of life begins. Join us at NakedMindPath.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, but I'm going to introduce my guest today. Um... I interviewed Gabby Bernstein and it was a really, really cool moment actually, because Gabby's books were one of the first books that were handed to me and recommended to me by my friend, Holly Glenn Whitaker, uh, in the early days, you know, it's been almost eight years for me now that I haven't been drinking. And in the early days, when you're dealing with a lot of that out front emotion and the things that are coming up for you, and quite frankly, a lot of fear, um, I was handed a book and that book was Gabby's book. It was called may cause miracles. And it was a 40 day kind of practical book about really relating to fear in a new way. And it was, even when I look at the the cover of it, and I mentioned this in the interview as well, I have this visceral feeling because things were so, gosh, learning to live awake when you've been medicating for so long. It's brilliant and it's beautiful, but I think it's as Glennon Doyle says, it's brutal because it can be brutal as well. And so I have such visceral memories of that time, the songs that were on the radio, the books that I was reading, all these sorts of things. And so in a completely full circle moment with her new book coming out and how um, this Naked Mind podcast has grown, Gabby actually reached out to me uh, to interview her. And I thought that was just the coolest thing. So of course I said yes, and she's been influential for me. And I wanted to bring her on, which I'm super excited to do. But I also want to let you know that Gabby's road to recovery because she's sober was very different. And this was not really the time or the place for me to get into this naked mind or why it was different. She, you know, from this interview, you can tell she doesn't really know who we are, what we do or how things are around here. Certainly isn't familiar with language like data points or um, any of that other stuff. And I play these interviews very much from my heart, like what I feel like I should ask. But I do want to just give kind of a preframe that she talks about things in her way. She gives it her language. And of course, because anyway is right if it works for you. Um, I think we talk about key themes, but I do want to say that she uses her language and that's not always our language, but that's also totally okay and welcome and acceptable. And so I'm excited for you to hear this interview with me and Gabby Bernstein. I am here with Gabby Bernstein, which is so exciting for me. Welcome Gabby. And my kitten. Yay. Gabby and kitten. Six month old (laughs) baby kitty. She just likes a lot of attention. So, you know, she's with us. <laughs> I love that. Um, so, Gabby, the first book I read of yours was May Cause Miracles. And I read it actually for me, like really early into my journey of, you know, not drinking. And it was, I, I actually looked it up um, just to, 
pulled it off my shelf and the even the cover of it just creates this visceral experience for me of like that time and I remember thinking about wow like you were the first person I think to show me that fear isn't real you know like it can totally be questioned and it it was so and you pointed me I I think what your books do so well is they articulate big ideas and then you they point you in directions as well to kind of further your journey and your growth. Um, and another one of your books that I absolutely loved was The Judgment Detox. It came at a time where I felt like all I was doing was judging and I, I couldn't see it. And uh, so anyway, I you've just been super influential for me and I'm so privileged to have the chance to talk to you. So thank you so much for being here. When people tell me which of my books they read, it's often a real indicator of who they are. Oh, wow. And what they're not even necessarily who you are, but your commit, your level of commitment to yourself. And the two books you just mentioned are real, you know, heavy lifts, right? So not heavy, but May Cause Miracles in particular isn't heavy, but it's work, you know, it's 40 days of practice. Yeah. And then Judgment Detox is no small thing. And anyone who finishes that book, I always admire and so it's it, 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 the, the, that combo I've never heard before. And you are rocking it, mama. Nice. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And then, you know, make, may cause miracles. Um, I ended up buying the course in miracles and just, you know, dabbling, I will say, but it, it was interesting your way of, of bringing some of those ideas to, um, accessible language was just super, super great and very influential for me. Um, my friend, Holly Whitaker was the person who mm. turned me on to your work. And mm. yeah, so it's, it's just really cool. So this is kind of for me, a full circle moment. It's just awesome. Beautiful. Beautiful. So I would love to hear just from you, your story specifically, you know, with addiction and, uh, where it all started for you, for you and some of your thoughts in that regard. Well, I'll start with getting sober. I got sober at 25. <clears throat> off of cocaine and alcohol and cocaine was really what took me down. And when I got clean and sober, I was really drawn back into my spiritual roots because I was brought up very spiritual as a child and was pulled back into that so deeply. And it ultimately is what saved my life. But I didn't understand why I was using, I never understood why I had become an addict. And so I addressed the, the, using of drugs and alcohol. I got sober. I found a program. I got a sponsor. And that really, really changed my life. I got very, obviously very spiritual, started writing spiritual books, but all the while had other addictive patterns that were showing up like codependency or patterns like um, workaholism was a real big one. And Workaholism was a tough one because it was so socially acceptable and almost praised. It was so praised. <clears throat> and around the time I was 36, at that point, I'd probably been almost 11 years sober. I started having a lot of panic attacks and meltdowns. And I started feeling like I was cracking into something. And I kept saying, I can't go on like this. I can't go on like this. I can't go on like this. And around that time, I had a dream. And in the dream, I remembered a dissociated memory. And it was a memory of being sexually abused as a child. And it wasn't the full memory coming back, but it was the acceptance and the acknowledgement of it. And 
a few days went by and I was like, I'm not going to ever talk about that again. That was too real. I never want to touch that. And then in my therapy, I fully embraced it. I allowed that to come forward and I allowed to myself to accept, yes, this did, did indeed happen to me. And remembering that trauma was the scariest moment of my life. But at the same time, it offered me a tremendous amount of relief because right then and there, I said to myself, oh, okay, that's why you're a cocaine addict. That's why you're an alcoholic. That's why you've been a workaholic. That's why you have all these reactive behaviors. Okay. You know, so it gave me a lot of grace and it gave me a lot of compassion for myself. But then it really became like, you know, get your big girl pants on and let's do some big work here and get and heal the root cause of your addiction, which is trauma. Yeah. I believe that trauma is the root cause of all addiction. Whether people identify as being traumatized or not, we all have trauma. And healing from trauma is the path to true recovery. And there's nothing small about getting clean and sober. There's nothing small about getting into a program, having a sponsor, doing work, doing 12 step, whatever, whatever it is that you do, going to treatment, whatever it is. But there's another level of recovery that is available to all of us. And that is going to the depths of the places that scare us. And what was so interesting to me was when I started talking about the sexual abuse in my 12 step meetings, particularly in the women's meetings, every woman would go around the room and say, me too, me too, me too. But I don't talk about that anymore. You know, but that's, but that's, but that's over. That's gone. And it was so clear to me that was why they used, but that it was so scary for them to even face into or even accept it or even say it out loud in a room that was so safe. And that was in when I was 36, now I'm 42. And that's when I printed this book. This book is out now. Happy Days, The Guided Path from Trauma to Profound Freedom and Inner Peace. And it is my prayer that every addict on this planet read this book. Mm. Really, yeah. and human, truly, because we're all traumatized, but particularly addicts. Yeah. In the beginning of the book, you talk about how your, um, your agents were even, and your publisher were kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is, this is too deep. This is too raw. This is not even safe to share. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and how you did come to the point of, no, I'm going to do this? Yeah. I opened the book with my publisher saying to me, Gabby, we're nervous for you. You're sharing one negative story after the next. You're being too vulnerable. You're not showing your true strength. And I responded and I said, my ability to be this vulnerable is my true strength. Mm -hmm. And I I, I took some of their advice and I softened some of the edges and brought in a lot of my spiritual strength, but I didn't change the book too very much at all because the iteration that this book came out in is exactly what, need, what the world needed right now. I love that. I love that. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is, you know, of course, so much of our behavior that we're not proud of when it comes to drugs, alcohol, anything that we're doing that we just hate in ourselves and we wonder why we do it. It all, of course, centers on shame. And I think specifically when we are trying to stop drinking, we actually in our own minds distill our worthiness down to did we have a drink or not? Mm. And I think that that is such an almost shameful way of looking at it, right? And I think that from a spiritual perspective, at least in my experience of what that means, is that 
there's never a behavior ever that defines your worthiness. Your worthiness is completely and totally independent from any behavior always will be. There's, mm. there's no argument there, but when you hide, you can separate yourself from any sort of inner wisdom or spiritual nature or, you know, source divinity, however you want to call it for yourself. Mm. And that hiding of course is sourced from shame. Yes. We, we, we build up a lot of forms of protection and those protector parts often are very extreme. And what they are protecting is the child parts of ourselves that are so filled with so much shame and feelings of being unlovable and inadequate. And it's so scary and terrifying to even contemplate feeling into those feelings that, that we build up all these different protection mechanisms and those protection mechanisms can often come in the form of addiction. And when we are addicted, we're in a very extreme protector part. And that can be really scary and it can be really difficult to live through, but it can, but it, it is just a form of protection because to your point, we all have the resourced adult, healthy, loving presence that is within us, which is in internal family systems therapy known as self with a capital S or higher self, you could refer to it as we all have that presence within us, but we've built up the walls against it. Mm -hmm. And so as we start to heal, we begin to take down the, those, those aggressive walls that block us from that presence of peace. Yeah, that's so true. And so profound. So Gabby, in this book, one of the things that struck me, you know, because it's a book about trauma is the title. And can you kind of unpack that for, for us? Why did you name it Happy Days? Well, the title is really one of those titles that needs to be said out loud with the subtitle because it's <clears throat> Happy Days, the guided path from trauma to profound freedom and inner peace. And that was the only way I could get my publishers to agree to this title because I had to tell the reader the truth about what this book is about up front and center. But I also wanted to give the reader a vision of where they're going. And the, when I was a kid, we would go around the table and say, happy days and raise our glass. And now at the time I wasn't very happy, but, but here I am now. And I know what it means to really raise your glass and say happy days. And that's my hope and my prayer for my reader is that through this journey, they can really come back and, and, and know what that means for them. I love that so much. One of the things that struck me in, in the books that I'd read of yours before is you'd say something like, I'm the happiest person I know. And I've always wanted to ask you, is, how is that for you socially? Uh, being the happiest, like, does it invoke, like sometimes I think we want to dim our happiness or dim our joy or dim our light to make other people feel more comfortable. And I'd love mm. for you to talk about that. You know, I love this question very much. Thank you. And one of the um, question somebody else asked me today on a different podcast was, um, what do you want to leave the world with? And, or like, what do you want people to leave with if, you, if this was all you could say? And I said, I want people to say, her presence made me feel good. Mm. It felt good in her presence. Because to me, what that means is that if you feel good in my presence, it's because I feel good in my presence. Yes. And so that's my life intention is to just elevate humankind, just to be a presence of steadiness and safety and, 
a soothing presence in the lives of others. And even just through my, through my books, through the energy that's infused in every book, when people listen to my voice, when I read the books, and I want that to be, I want people to feel that they have a guide and someone that cares about them. And I say that very openly in this book. And so I think that that answer is there's, I'd never shy away from being in my joy because that's what I teach. Yeah. So I have the best way to be a power of example is to teach from that, to be in that place, to live that way. I love that. Yeah, that's really cool. And aspirational, I think, because I, yeah, I do find that sometimes depending who I'm around or if I know they're going through a hard time, I think I do feel like, oh, maybe I need to just and it, and I always, on the other side of it, coming out of those experiences, regret it. I always regret sinking to the level of, okay, let's just complain about something or let's just be in this misery together. And, you know, that idea that misery loves company, I don't know that that's maybe, but it's so superficial, that feeling like connecting over shared misery, it feels powerful in the moment, but it actually does not last. And it, in my experience, the lasting friendships and relationships I have they were not over shared misery. And in fact, most of the friendships and relationships where I did connect over some shared misery, especially in my drinking days, they've since really gone away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. And, you know, I think that's why you like judgment detox because you were like, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> and that's actually a really sign, a good sign of recovery too. The more sober you get, the less judgmental you are, the less the more sober you get, and when I say sober, you get, I don't just mean like years of yeah, sobriety, absolutely. but I mean, you know, really living a sober life in every corner, just like your old patterns of sort of judging others or gossiping. They're just like icky. They start to just not work. Like the high, the temporary high you may have gotten is very, doesn't work anymore. And, um, I think I found myself throughout my sobriety saying like, I'm too clean for that. <laughs> like I'm too sober to say shit like that. <laughs> Love and it, it's true. Yeah. I love that. One of the, the principles that I really try to live by when treating myself kindly is curiosity without judgment. And mm. I think, you know, a lot of that did originate when I was like reading and digging into judgment detox and thinking, I mean, I think when anybody looks at where they judge, two things happen. One, you just kind of like pick up the rock and you look under and there's so many creepy corallis, you want to put it right down and run away because it is rampant it is everywhere. And I think too, is that you ultimately do come to terms through the process that all the places you're judging other people are also places you're judging yourself and Definitely. probably more harshly, you know, even at a subconscious level, maybe you're not consciously aware of it, but all the fault you find in other people, you're finding in yourself at some level. And if you stop judging other people, it's, you know, people say, well, how do I awaken self-compassion for me? Like, well, one of the best ways is to have it for other people first. One of the best ways to stop judging yourself is to stop judging other people first. And mm -hmm. for some reason, we find it so much easier to externally change rather than internally change. But I find that that can often pave the way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, the external changes were not, are not enough. We, that they're just sort of a mask. And so we have to do the inner work to really let our whole life change. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so switching gears completely, but you know, all of your work has such a, a, I would say a thread of spirituality. 
And, you know, you said that when you, you grew up with a lot of spirituality and then you felt separate from it, and then you came back to it, it, I find is a very loaded word for people. I was doing a teaching and I used the word faith and it wasn't even faith in a sort of spiritual sense. It was just like faith is a belief in an outcome you desire. That was how I was defining it. And I got so much pushback even about that word. And I'm just curious, how do you help people who have so much resistance, probably because of trauma that has been inflicted by whatever spiritual tradition that they were brought through, um, but what would you say to people who have just so much resistance to even looking at that side of themselves? Well, some of it is in certain settings, um, demystifying the language, right? So sometimes it's just about changing the lexicon and defining things in a way that is easier for someone to digest. When it comes to someone who's totally void of spirituality and has zero interest in opening up to it. I'm not their author. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily going to be totally irrelevant to them, depending on the setting that they meet me in, because I am now being asked to do a lot of like corporate talks and things like that. And so I'm not talking about God and faith and I'm talking about trusting yourself and surrendering and letting go and, and, and just, just giving it in a different language. So I think that, but if you're totally closed off and you're not open to this, then that's not your student. That's not my student. They'll find somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. It's important to really accept that too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then if somebody is like, okay, well, I'm interested, I'm curious, what do you think is the first right step to kind of getting back in touch or in touch for the first time with a more spiritual side of yourself? Well, this is going to sound stupid because it's sort of like, a, I'm not trying to plug my books, but I would say just, just go read my book. The universe has your back mm -hmm. because it's such a beautiful, gentle path to establishing a faith of your own understanding. I really like that vernacular establishing a faith of your own understanding, which is, is so freeing and, and really giving permission. Um, it doesn't have to be what anyone else thinks it is, which is mm, good. That's yeah. That's 12 step language, right? It's like, just such a miracle to be gifted that kind of language because early in my recovery, I was like, I don't know what God is. I don't know. You know? And I was like, my sponsor was like, get on your knees. And I was like, I don't want to fucking get on my knees, but I did. I acted as if, you know, and I got on my knees and I said a prayer and, and in time I started to understand what a God of my own understanding meant to me. Very cool. Very cool. Um, switching back to kind of your book. Uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um, the chapter hiding behind the body, because I just find that concept so fascinating. Mm. So we all have uh, physical conditions of some kind, right? So I have like this, like piriformis thing that's constantly there. And, you know, we have jaw tension or we have sleep issues or gastrointestinal issues or headaches. And what I recommend in this, in this chapter is to start to open up to the possibility that these physical conditions are, have a psychosomatic effect behind them or the effect of a psychosomatic condition. And I cite the work of Dr. John Sarno, who famously wrote a book called Healing Back Pain that is all about how our physical pain is a reflection of our impermissible rage. And in that chapter, 
by no means do I deny a physical diagnosis or, or deny medication. In fact, in the book, I talk about medication and how medication really saved my life. But what I do recommend is that the readers start to look at the possibility that their pain could be another form of protection, that their pain could be another distraction from facing impermissible feelings. And if you think about it from a biological perspective, right? So you have, you're triggered in because of something. And when that trigger happens, what happens? Your body braces up, your back tightens, your gastric, your, your stomach tightens, you stop breathing. So you send a message to the amygdala, like I am not safe. And then that, what does that do? That stops blood flow, that stops the, the nervous system from taking care of itself, that, that just completely redirects the body's natural state and it creates inflammation. And it's, you're just in a stress response. And when we're in a constant stress response, that's actually called the allostatic load, where we hit such a point of, of, of just extreme stress that we crack and our body starts to take the toll. And so for me, you know, I lived for years with gastro issues and it was only until I started to really address the root cause condition that my gastro issues started to subside and now are gone completely. So there was nothing there wasn't, it wasn't a bacteria. It wasn't, and yes, bacteria be, did begin to grow because of the, the hyper state of stress that I was in. Right. But it wasn't the bacteria, you know, it wasn't the specific diagnosis. It was the, the, the addressing of the root cause condition that was necessary to heal. Yeah. I connected so much with that because, um, Dr. Sarner was really influential in my work as well. So with my first book, This Naked Mind, it is almost built on, on that premise because the first time I had had any indication that there was something more going on between my mind and my body than we're led to believe in Western society was I was just desperately suffering with back pain for years and years. And I remember at the beginning of that book, he's like, I'm going to give you the theory. <laughs> the theory is basically it's in your head. It's real pain. Tension meiosis syndrome is like actually your, your muscles depleting themselves from oxygen. We can see it in x-rays. It's real pain, but it's caused by your mind. He goes, but you're not going to believe me. I have to convince your subconscious mind. So you need to read a 300 page book. And when you read the book, it's going to go away. And of course I was so skeptical, but I tried everything. I'd been on medication. I'd done traction, muscle relaxers, chiropractic, all the things. And I had little boys and I wanted to be able to pick them up and I couldn't. And so I read this book and within days I was, you know, we moved right after I finished reading it and I helped move. And then um, my kids got a trampoline and I was able to jump on the trampoline. And even when I'd have flare ups, I remember just like going into the bathroom by myself, be like, nope, nope, ain't nobody got time for you. Repudiating the pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah mm -hmm. humiliate the pain. Like he tells you to just talk back to it. And that idea of the rage that we're not willing to admit because I had young children, uh, I think it was his example of imagine you are a new parent and you have a crying baby and you're exhausted. Like you will feel anger and you will judge yourself so harshly for that anger. You will have no compassion for those feelings. So you won't even let them consciously be present in your mind. You will push them away and it will manifest in pain. And I was like, wow, like this is life-changing. And mm. so I started exploring so many other things from that, that premise. Yeah. Sarno's work was just so transformational for me as well and freeing to really see, oh, okay, you know, I think at one point in his book, in one of his books, he said that, um, 
people who have survived sexual trauma actually have some of the most psychosomatic effects on their body. And uh, it just gave me such permission to just heal through the mind and to give myself the opportunity to really see that I wasn't the victim of my body's pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just, and just bringing it out that we not on purpose, but we will hide from what needs to be healed through actual pain, I think was totally, you can't talk about trauma without talking about that. Mm -hmm. No way. Which is awesome. Um, one of the things that I've heard said recently is that, and I think this is, is so true for a lot of your work, but that wisdom, like when you hear it, even if, you know, it might be in a different frame or a different language or, or from a different background, but when you hear it, it often quiets the nervous system. Like it's kind of this truth with a capital T and you, you sort of, I like to think about it that there, there's a note inside of you and it just, you hear something and it's in tune with that note. And then you can discern like, oh yeah, that's for me. And instead of having an increase in anxiety, and admittedly, there are times when I think we need to go into the anxious places to heal, but the way is often with something that really feels calming. And, and that was for sure what I experienced when I started to read, um, uh, you know, May Cause Miracles and going through the daily exercises of like, oh, wow, I can actually think about fear in a totally different way and almost personify it. And like those sort of things were so calming for me at a place mm -hmm. in time when I needed that so, mm -hmm. so much. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I agree with that. I think that when we hear things that are resonant, it has the power to heal. Yeah. And it's just so important um, for people like you to just continue to <laughs> put things out there in the world, even when um, I can't imagine it was easy to write this book. And, you know, um, it sounds like you knew and you were very congruent with your decision, but especially. No, it wasn't easy, um, but it was necessary. And I'm proud of myself for, for being brave enough to go there so that I could help people on the other side. So good. So good. Um, so Gabby, two, two questions to kind of finish us up, which is, first of all, um, obviously, you have so many books, so many New York Times bestsellers. Um, Happy Days is a great place, I think, to start, especially for my audience. Uh, but where else can people find you? Another book that your audience would resonate with is probably my book, Spirit Junkie, which is my my recovery book. It's really about getting sober and healing from codependency. Even the title itself is so resonant for this audience, <laughs> Spirit Junkie. Uh, but I also have a podcast called Dear Gabby. And I think that that is one of my great contributions that I've been able to give to the world because it's a place where I can be your coach. You can come on and hear me coaching other people and then recognize yourself in these different lessons. Mm, that's awesome. And then I'm going to sort of ask you the question that I finish off all of these interviews with, which is if you were going to go back to yourself pre-25, you know, the one that was medicating pain that she didn't even consciously know existed and just kind of thinking that, well, this is how, how life is. And you're going to tell her and encourage her about what your life is today, you know, so many years into sobriety and um, the contributions you've made, like, what would you tell her? I would say stick around for the miracles. <laughs> That's awesome. So good. 
Awesome. Is there anything else you want to share? Well, I just want to share that I'm proud of you and your recovery and I'm proud of your listeners and their commitment to get sober in whatever form that comes. And uh, it's a huge, it's a huge gift that you're giving to the world, you and your listeners to, to live a sober life and stay clean and you'll live a life beyond your wildest dreams. That's awesome. So cool. And I know that was the message that you felt like was almost said to you out loud mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at the crossroads of your own journey. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's Will you right. just close us off with telling that you were in the car? Yeah. Well, I was, I was actually coming down from the cocaine and it was October 2nd, 2005. And I hit my knees on the floor in my apartment and I said, I need a miracle. And I don't know what I'm talking to, who I'm talking to, I need help. And then I heard an audible voice say, get clean and you will live a life beyond your wildest dreams. Mm. And I've been sober ever since. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Gabby. It's been such an honor to have you on and thank have this you. chat. And I really appreciate thank you. It. Thank you so much. Hi, it's Annie Grace. I wanted to interrupt this podcast. I guess the end of this podcast to say that if you're totally serious about actually and truly and forevermore transforming a relationship with alcohol, really leaving it behind in the rear view mirror for once and forever and changing your psychology about it, we have a program called The Path that I've created specifically for you. Now, it's not for you if you're still dabbling or trying to figure out where you want to be or maybe even if you still want to moderate. All those things are fine. That's great. But if you're beyond that and you're like, no, I just want to be done with this. I'm ready to invest some time and I'm ready to just make this happen. I want the answer. I want the easy way out. Then I want you to check out NakedMindPath.com and join us in the path where you receive coach-guided and community support so that you can truly make this lasting change that you want in your life. And as always, Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.